Where is Linton? <laughs> Wait till it is all fellas. Yo to Nicole. Yo to Nicole. All right, Actually, now he had to it. These days are hot. These days are hot. He, he was born in the darkness. Yes, he was. Now I see that. <laughs> 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 we okay. merely adopted. <laughs> and he thought I came. But that's how we just go to. That's how we just go to. You know, sometimes, you know, you had a battle up with the elements and so on. So, um, welcome to another episode, friends, of the Heights Room. And right about now is level rain all over the place and level flooding too by Leslie Boy. If you see the sites right now, it's too nice now. Nah? Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, it, it's been going on for since last week. We've been having some torrential rain. And right now, what you have going on in places like um, Hawaii, you know, Pina, well, Pinal forever flooded. Right now, up, up north, right. it hit real bad. Up north, hit real, real, real bad. And then we have um, all these random roads and things all over this, you know, where it don't usually are flooded and things. But you know how it does go. Um, with yeah. that being said, with that being said, the first thing I want to talk about before we get into our guests and so on is the fact mm. that the business sector in Trinidad has reopened. Um, and that mm. has led to a what lot of... So, after the, the, all the different measures that would have been in tandem with the, the SOE and the lockdown, as you want to call mm. it, and all that, the curfew and all mm. that, you know, mm. there would be stages to which the government would allow things to open back, right? So, mm. the first thing I, I think they did a little while ago was that they allowed food to be sold, right? You can't go and sit down and eat. Right, but you could actually right, go right. and you could buy food. So now what they have is the rest of retail being um re- the rest of retail being back um you know oh open open you know certain things are close like you know hairdressing the gyms all of that but um anyway actually have people you know that have been in close proximity with each other doing like you know activities like that but um the beach is still closed but the business sector, so it courts and so on. I don't know if you saw anything in the news. Um, in yeah, the... well, I mean, I, but after all of that, though, I mean, High Street ran off from what I see. You know what I mean? Is is literally the first thing open because the first thing I saw was the, was the picture at Trin City Mall, and Trin City yeah. Mall was was ran off. You understand? Mm-hmm. And then now you know I see nothing on High Street like is like like is week before Christmas or something. Yeah, that's son. I, I couldn't yeah, well, it, you know. People had a I mean, the check to see if men vaccination or anything like that. No, nah, well, it don't have those. It don't have those kind of those kind of rules yet in places where they have to present like a vaccination card and thing. It wouldn't be like that, you know, as mm-hmm. of yet. I mean, mm-hmm. I think the I think the vaccination issue is more something to do with like employers and employees at this point in time where we get a little bit of heat right. in regards right. to that. True. So. You know, true, as we can see there, true, shoppers true, true. flock to San Fernando. Now, I mean, it, it begs the question now, now that we have the shopping back open. I mean, I don't think, I don't think all, are the malls open, people, if, if, um, if retail is open? Um, Rattans, I'm going to say Rattans. Yeah, well, Rattans, Rattans would be, would be, you know, very busy because people, especially in this time too, Rattans is like one of the number one places to go to, to get what you have to get and stuff, you know? Mm. Um, whereas, yeah. whereas you might have, Whereas you might have wanted to go Francis fashions before, now you had to go take yeah. that get 
and get essentials at Rattans. I mean, that's how, that's how and, it goes. And, and I guess High Street would I get away from, like, all the flood and thing, boy, because of how it's on a hill and that. And, you know, that's a scene in itself, Ekota, because down here in Micronesia, we would have rain, like if it's hurricane-level rain, and within two minutes, the place dry, you know. You understand what right. I'm saying? It, it has to do with the, with the soil type. Out here is um, mainly volcanic rock mm-hmm. so you would literally see the road almost like a river in 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 thing and within a minute i kid you not no more than a minute dry yeah, yeah that's what i'm saying well, so, I, see Man- I mean yeah i see manuel saying that he went golf city and he went see trees so like man you're shopping up a storm boy <laughs> I, I know it's i know it's not window shopping but um <laughs> yeah so 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 all these stores are then open inside then all right all right all right, yeah. all right. but you see all that all that psychology to it um cut i mean just to feel a little normal see two now boy just to just to come back and you know what I mean? You might need, yeah, you might yeah. have a, 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 a video game on digital download, but just to be able to go and physically, you know what I mean, buy something over the counter, you understand what I'm saying? All I part of it now, boy, you understand what I'm saying? So, so you know, the next but, big thing people been talking about is that we're getting 300 and something thousand Pfizer vaccines. Now, before, you know, that was a big floss <clears> to say you're going away to get the Pfizer because we can't get the Pfizer here and right. all this you know, vaccine diplomacy and things that are taking place. Now we get an advisor, we get in a few hundred thousand of it. And what they are saying, because the visor has been one? used. Huh? Does he say the freeze one? Um I don't yeah, I, I, be, I believe I believe the, the mRNA has to go into the deep freeze, yes. So um, mm. you know, with with that being said, now comes the question of, you know, with all the hesitancy that there is amongst mm-hmm. population. Are we going to see a uh, uptake of vaccines for children among the public? A, a, a big uptake. Are, are people going to be hmm. vaccinated? Are children going to be vaccinated? Because right now the hesitancy among certain sections of the population um, is very high, you know. Right. And right. and and I I think that um, there would be a great amount of children who are not going to opt to take the vaccine. So we mm-hmm. have to wait and see because they because I mean one of the the main game part of the game plan to get things back to you know school and going out back out to school and things is that the children need to get vaccinated with the Pfizer as far as I could see right. but that, from what yeah. we're reading on the um from what we're reading on the yeah. screen there you know Minister like Gatsby Dolly yeah um I don't I'm not sure what 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 um let me just pull yeah, back it's, up it's like it's come full um with the Pfizer uh, with, with the mm-hmm. vaccines overall is according i'm not sure if it's it is changed this one in particular thing she mentioned she mentioned first come mm-hmm. first serve just come to any of them 12 them 12 locations she mentioned on there so i mean it'll be interesting to see if it's like you know yeah long long line you understand because Pfizer was what men was fighting for you know what i mean so now you get it you know you would think men would just you know flow fall well, in, I, you know well i well, see seeing um well i see in that Munilal wrote to Gatsby Dolly and said it is distressing that while you speak of a fast-track vaccination process, your government has sidestepped such heavily populated communities as Pinal, Debe, Barakpur, Faisabad, Separia, amongst others. But in light of your request for volunteers to operate additional vaccination sites, I hereby offer to source qualified personnel for a venue within the Oropoch East Electoral District. Um, there was vaccination sites at... Um, 
Separi. I think yeah, I mean I don't my, know if it, I, I don't yeah, I don't know if it changed. I don't know if it changed. So you know yeah. the future must continue. Yeah. But just um, along there, where's where's the twelve they have there? It a it a Oropucha and thing at the bottom of the page. I think at the twelve. Costa, um, walking vaccination. Napa, yeah. Larry Gomes. Gomes. Grandi, Toko, Kuva, uh, San Fernando, Rio Claro, um, Abre. Okay. Well, yeah, well, I guess the man really ain't get, you know what I mean? And, yeah. <laughs> right, so the walk inside. So, yeah. Tapa, at least, you know? Yeah. Um, there was an, a lot of going on at Sapa, but I guess this has to do with the rollout for the new, this, this rollout that they're talking about, the this vaccination of children, this Pfizer vaccination of children be, yeah. between the ages of 12 to 18. Begins at 8 a.m. today, and that would have been on mm. the this 20, 21 hours ago. So you know, that's yeah, what it, yeah, yes. yeah. And I guess you have to have the facilities and things to have the deep trees and all them things. So I guess it can't be. Yeah, I mean, so what? 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 I really studying right is that okay? Mm. So now, so now all these people who was like, you know, they wanted the visor. Are they going to rush and put on their school, school uniform and thing now and rush with this visor? <laughs> because they're so hell-bent about this visor and they're saying it's for children now. So, yeah. When men was on the brand, men say they don't want Chinese vaccine, they don't want this and thing. They want the Pfizer, they go in Miami so, for Pfizer, you know? So Sharice is saying it's a line-up thing. Sharice is saying it's a line-up thing for the children, so they put it there in those locations for the Pfizer is a line-up thing. Patreon first come first serve. Let me hope the children not have it in the cold. Let me hope not have it in the rain. Because that's, that's right, that's right. They line up in the rain. They line up in the yeah, rain yeah, for this yeah, thing. Yeah. And it, it do, it's not a good look. But again, I don't think people yeah, are yeah. very much concerned with appearances in Trinidad because it not look good, yeah. right? It don't look good, yeah, right? Yeah, 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 Did it mean yeah, that without yeah, Pfizer, yeah. schools would have remained closed for a longer period of time? Well, um, hmm. Kevin asks a very important question. I think they still wanted yeah. to bring out the, the, the exam children and they still were looking at... A, at a, right system of what you call um where we uh, blended learning where you know you have yeah. children come out some come out some week some do it online some we can split it up into smaller groups so you don't have everybody coming out they, they it's it's not sure right now as to how much children going yeah. to get vaccinated so it, it's up in the air you know it's yeah. up in the air yeah. really i mean the exam population you know? shouldn't be that big cutter. it should be like probably a, a one two hundred thousand like this three hundred thousand should if you just focus mm -hmm. on like just the exam people then you know what i mean they should yeah well i think it's so i think it's for more than them you know that is for the children overall but okay, they, okay, but, okay, but okay. their priority for coming out to school is exam children but you know we'll wait and see right. how it goes and as to how much teachers yeah. i mean when it comes to the vaccine when it comes to immunity there's still a lot to be said and we are going to deal mm -hmm. with that in coming weeks because we need to get back into that yeah. into that so we had the firepower operation vaccination vaccination yeah, yeah coming yeah, up yeah. people <laughs> so, so yeah so <laughs> i mean at this point in time i think we could roll into the main event of mm -hmm. today's show all right mm -hmm. well let's say mm -hmm. so yeah, yeah our first guest is well our main guest they would go on we 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 would have advertised and then we had an addition coming in um is Julian Goddard Julian Goddard has been leading in environmental and community activism for over 30 years most of her focus has been towards re-establishing resilience in deeply damaged human and natural communities she's the founder of Sunita's Organics an agri wild comp agri wilding company which created the first organic shop in TNT now rebranded as New Earth Organics, she co-founded the Alliance of Rural Communities 
of Trinidad and Tobago in 2013, which has since grown to a network engaging in 15 countries. Welcome, Jillian. Hi, thanks for having Hi, me. It's a, it's a pleasure to have thanks you on. And, it's, and later on in the show, we are going to be joined by Jillian's comrade, Laura Lalman, who will get into her story in a little while. Okay, so Jillian, to start mm -hmm. us off, right? What I want to ask you is to just give us a little background on these different entities which you have founded, which you are a part of. Let's start off with, with ArcTT, um, which is the Alliance of Rural Communities of Trinidad and Tobago. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Right. So ARC is a network, is a collective of rural communities, associated businesses started under the umbrella of ARC and also allies who are not in rural communities. <clears throat> so we started off really and truly, it was kind of an accident. I started making chocolate with my partner. We decided to teach chocolate making mm -hmm. to some friends who were cocoa farmers and it went from there. Mm -hmm. So we thought in the beginning, we were just going to show people how to make chocolate as we were learning. And in the end, mm -hmm. we realized there was a lot more structural obstacles. So ARC then evolved. So there are four main communities in Trinidad. We've had a company in Tobago, but that's on a hiatus now. Two in St. Lucia. And we have an initiative with allies in Jamaica and Dominica. And we are teaching chocolate making or interacting with other chocolate makers in Nigeria, Ghana, Cameroon, Ivory Coast, wow. Uganda, and Malawi. And then we have two allies and people we are connected with also from the African diaspora in the U.S. I wow. hear you. I hear you. That's a, a lot of, a lot of um, outreach there when <laughs> it comes to that. Why not nice? Yeah, well, so, it expanded a lot recently because um, we were mainly operating mm -hmm. in the Caribbean and in the U.S., light linkages mm -hmm. in west africa but now we've solidified those so so how did those mm -hmm. linkages come to be so so widely what 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 really um well was the... um when you operate in the craft chocolate world you get mm -hmm. to know people mm -hmm. because it's a small sector of the commercial industrial chocolate world and so mm -hmm. there's a lot going on inside of it. A lot of changes taking place, a lot of communication. It's, an, it's a sector that is growing. So right. through that, mm -hmm. I started to meet a couple of people in West Africa. And actually, we've been trying to do this for years. But because of having mm -hmm. Zoom, honestly, it has really <laughs> allowed us to kind of level up in a way where we don't have to be dependent on people to create the linkages for us. So right. we were able to go straight to people and then the network started building from there. I hear you. Mm -hmm. Now, Caribbean Homestead, that is another entity which I've been told about, but I really don't know anything about it. So what is Caribbean Homestead? Okay, so now? we have to kind of back up to Sunita's first. So Sunita's okay. is a company yeah. that I had started about 14 years ago. I started the first organic shop in Trinidad. Mm -hmm. That was in Woodbrook. And right. we had a shop, cafe, camps for children, um, lots of different things going on there. And um, it became a cooperative after two years. It's since privatized. And um, because of Sanitas, which had kind of gone on a little hiatus, we took back the name when we started making chocolate. But the goal of Sanitas, really, it's an activist company, really working to change the values in our communities, the understanding of how food should be grown, 
in a way that is in, will collaborate with the environment. And so Sun Eaters is where Ark came out of. And Sun Eaters is also where Caribbean Homestead came out of. So oh, it's a okay. model of how you do business. I'm not particularly an um, inter-individual entrepreneurship. I don't think it's actually a really workable model. So Sanitas, even though it has an indi individual entrepreneurship registration, the main goal is to actually share what is learned. So it is almost like the R&D arm of ARC. So right. it's registered privately. What it allows is for the risk to be taken in that company and then spread mm. to the rural communities and now across the globe. Because when I hear Sanitas, I think about the chocolate, right? But... You're saying mm -hmm. that that Sun Eaters is not just a brand of chocolate. No. First and foremost. You, so, you, no. said something, you said something that's all about a camp and all of this. So what? So just just for my my mm -hmm. ignorance, run that by me again. Sun Eaters. Is, so what? <laughs> what did Sun Eaters start off as, and what is it actually? If it's okay, not just so, so yeah. Sun Eaters started off a name eating the sun, right? So mm -hmm. we don't yeah. have chlorophyll, so we have to right. eat. Right. Right. It was really yeah. the name itself was Sun Eaters. So we are Sun Eaters, but That's through right. a medium of plants. I like that. Animals. Right. So, nice so it really was <laughs> in the beginning. I was a raw foodist for about six years, 100% raw. And I was living between here and the US. Oh. And I was here and decided, huh, I need to get more organic food. So I ended up once again, kind of accidentally starting the business and um, ended mm. up with a shop and with a collection of organic mm. farmers because I was hunting down produce. You know, you can't just say, let right. me go to a wholesaler. You have to find people who grow right. without chemicals. Um, and so that is how but, Sanita started. And the truth is yeah, that if you're but, working in mm -hmm. primary agriculture, growing things, which mm. I have been doing, it's very difficult to actually make a living and afford the things that we kind of accept that people should be able to afford if you are not processing. So Sanita started off yeah. as a way to support planting without chemicals and also processing by farmers and creating collaboration so we could do those things together. So this was about almost 15 years ago now. Right. Um, yeah. And out of that, but, Ark was, but was born. That, yeah. So Ark mm. is because, about but, five years old now. And um, mm. Caribbean Homestead is out of that. The initiative in yeah. West Africa is actually called the um, Cross-Atlantic Collaborative because there are people from Africa, from the African diaspora in the Caribbean, and from the African diaspora in North America. So there are projects that are being mm. seeded as they, mm. as a group or project expands, they're being seeded from R&D within ARC. It's a different right. model but, and we are accustomed to yeah. it's a model that we think really is needed here because there is a, there is a kind of suppression of innovation sometimes um, in an mm. environment that has pieces of a structure. One of the things after colonization, we were left with pieces of a society. Mm -hmm. We have some pieces of the economic system, some pieces of the educational system, and that doesn't really work so well for innovation. So mm -hmm. we are trying to create a structure 
by which innovation can flourish. But but let me let, let me ask this, Julian. I mean, you, you, that that was that was some some important heights you just you just delve into there. So let me just bring it back to those heights a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. You mentioned Sun Eaters about being this sort of organic produce um, uh, organization, and you mentioned going on a raw foods diet. I mean, I uh, was by birth vegetarian, and I've learned like you know all the different nuances between vegan fruitarian and all of that and whatnot. If you could unpack a little bit about what is organic farming for people and that raw foods diet, just 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 a little bit in terms of that raw, that, that's, not, that's real heights to it. If you could just unpack those two <laughs> for us a little bit. <laughs> right. Um, so in terms of organic, now organic is a mm. new word. Basically, mm. what we call organic now is how people used to plant, right? So with petrochemicals, we started mm. having um, byproducts that are utilized in farming, including fertilizers, mm. some pesticides. Mm. And in addition, there are other chemical products that have been developed. Now, mm. the thing is, it is a lot to do with the design of the system, right? We, mm. are, we are creating crops that are working in a poorly designed system. So even right. when it comes to the food we decide to eat, so in Trinidad and Tobago, now we enter annual crops. Annual mm. crops in a tropical rainforest system, as you could probably imagine this week, mm. how much cabbage, right. pak choy, lettuce, flooding out, Ooh. wilting, all the fungi in soil, having a big yeah. fat, all the fat that was in over right. carnival, fungi <laughs> having it now, jumping right, on all right, the green. Right. Whereas the avocado right. tree, the mango tree, the banana tree, all of that standing tall, right? So right. we have moved the diet to one that requires more chemicals and fertilizer. And that is mm-hmm. one reason that the whole issue of organic is actually a very important issue now because it is not mm-hmm. just about not putting things. We have more mm. diseases. In Trinidad alone, we have about five banana diseases that were not here 50 years ago. So when Ooh. you plant in bananas, because of international mm. travel and movement of, um, of germplasm, you have to, mm. as an organic farmer, you have to deal with five more things now than you would have had mm. to deal with 50 years ago. So mm. there are a lot of things going on in food production that are barely spoken about in the mainstream. And so even Mm. though people hear this word organic, organic is not just about not putting chemicals. It means you have to design your your planting area properly. You have to choose certain crops rather than others. You have to plant together. So within ARC, we actually have an organic online group that we have Zoom meetings. And we sit and we give each other information, advice. We think about planning, um, because you can't just not plant. I mean, I see people right. not free. I see people doing that, just decide right. I go in organic, stop spraying, right. but they don't strengthen right. the soil. They know nothing about composting. They don't right. have access to manure. They don't necessarily have information right. about companion planting, annuals versus perennials. So there's a whole bunch of information. If you have a cultural agriculture, which is what is called agriculture, mm. if you actually mm. have an agriculture, you have information <laughs> that has been passed down 
for generations. Mm. Instead, right. we're changing crops every five minutes. And right. so that doesn't right. lead to the ability to design well or to be able to right. grow without chemicals. That said, right. I have never grown with chemicals in my whole life. And right. I've been growing stuff mm -hmm. for almost 40 years now. And I, ne I wouldn't even know how to use chemicals. So, right. and I sell produce. So it's a question of, you know, you have to have the information and working in a collaborative way works really well. I hear you. I hear you. Because, I mean, when I think about agriculture in Trinidad, I, it's, it's very rare that you hear that people, there are people who grow with no chemicals now. Like is always here, but there's yeah, these minimal, yeah, yeah. minimal chemicals and this kind of thing. And I do know that you know the, I have um, one of my partners, Keisha, he's always be talking about how he's getting stuff from RTT, and um, yeah. he's have the, the boxes come and he's right. take out all this stuff and thing mm -hmm. and he's put up on his Instagram and, <laughs> and like, well, there's top notch, top top notch thing yeah, going on yeah, here, boy. Yeah, yeah. You know, so, yeah, so now yeah, I know, you know. So, so yeah, this, now in terms of like, I know we're talking cocoa after this but mm -hmm. what you said just mm -hmm. now there's a partially a reason why people are planting annuals and using chemicals and mm -hmm. one of them is our mm -hmm. land reform laws are as antiquated mm -hmm. and backwards and top down mm -hmm. as ever so if you have to choose if you do not have secure land tenure and you have to plant a crop you're not going to plant no. something that barren in three years you're going to plant something right. that you could get, um, take up no. in about, you know, two months, three months in case hmm. you happen to get run off the land. And the statistics show that most of our local land um, food production is planted on what we call squatted land. So, right. so we have mm -hmm. some antiquated land issues that mm -hmm. are not mm -hmm. being addressed that are causing mm -hmm. us to use more chemicals i know it sounds ridiculous like how could that wow. no it doesn't really sound ridiculous mm -hmm. now it sounds very plausible given mm -hmm. what we, what what yeah. is the norm you know i mean it, it sounds like you know yeah very plausible but i mean it's 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 interesting though Cutter. i mean for us you know being conscious of the history and you know stemming from the colonial vibes and thing we may be like well yeah well that is seen but I mean, let me talk a little bit about that, delving into like the history of cocoa. Let me get let me, let me, let me, let me get into some of the meatery things now, right? And to really unpack and understand well where this thing comes from. Because until this episode, Julian, honestly, I didn't really see cocoa as being such a crop with such a charged history. Mm -hmm. You know, and you know, only reading uh, recently I read um, as I was telling you, uh, from Columbus to Castro. Uh, from Dr. Williams, and he had spoken a lot about the sugar crop and, you know, the, the charge nature of that, you know, that, you know, in, in the beginning, it was the Spanish coming to the Caribbean looking for gold. They take all the gold and everything, going back with the gold, and then it transitioned to sugar. But then there was also a stage where they went into cocoa. And in that cocoa, um, they was almost like a colonial model that sort of went with it. And they, in other words, to, 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 to mirror the same sort of system with the goal of taking what value, um, you know, the Caribbean has to offer and whatnot. And apparently it went so far, they actually considered Ghana what they call the Gold Coast, 
where they, they, they spoke of cocoa as, as, as black gold. I mean, in, in, in Trinidad, we know black gold to be oil, you know what I mean? Yeah. But they, they actually affiliated in the 1911 that word black gold with cocoa. Uh, so much so in Ghana, they say, uh, they have this quote, cocoa is Ghana and Ghana is cocoa, you know? Um, so it makes me then think um, with that colonial uh, background, Julian, what is what is the colonial background of cocoa? Is it that in the Caribbean cocoa existed indigenously, or was it brought in? What sort of what sort of background uh, colonial background you you are aware okay. of? Okay, so remember we did exist before the colonial period. When you look at it, is really a, right. a blink of the eye, right? But it's a blink right. with pepper in your eye because right. <laughs> even though it's short. It has a lot of bad design, mm. stupidity, mm. poor mm. understanding of consequences. So let's mm. think of cocoa before the colonial period. So cocoa mm. was in South America and eventually in Central America for thousands of years. So mm. we're looking at Trinidad having a history of thousands of years, too, of people passing through oh. here. Um, so, mm -hmm. so the evidence doesn't necessarily show there are some millstones they found in South. I think they were 3,000 years old and they have, they analyze what was on the millstones. Oh. And I mean, that's one of the early, most early evidence of pepper being used, which shows that people were eating <laughs> something for flavor because there's this antiquated right. idea that people pre-colonial suddenly were not interested in sensual Right, right, right. Cocoa was in the Amazon and it was in Central America. And if you look at some of the studies, you'll see that there must have been some experimentation. Think you're in an area for mm. 5,000 years. You don't just right. sit down filing your nails, right? You, you right. try and figure out things to do. You become a scientist, you do experiments. So the evidence of cocoa in Trinidad. It's not necessarily strong evidence, but when you look at the other trees that grow with cocoa, they're all here, right? So it's highly right. unlikely that they had like a, a um, plant quarantine person at the border in mm -hmm. a thousand years ago saying everything right, right. for cocoa, <laughs> right? But mm -hmm. the documented mm -hmm. history of cocoa, of course, is coming from the colonial period. And um, so during the colonial period there were some interesting things particularly in trinidad right because trinidad was a, trinidad has a very special place that doesn't get examined in a certain way because right. it is the entry to the caribbean chain and so right. it has a very specific mm. role in indigenous cultures as the entry point and the exit point into south america which is a whole different story a whole different set of um, biodiversity and so on. So cocoa would definitely, I would say it must have been here. Now, what mm. is pointed to is the commercialization of it. Now, when mm. the um, when the old and the new world came together mm -hmm. here, mm -hmm. supposedly mm -hmm. there were like 40,000 people, I think, in Trinidad. And when people sailed up mm. the Carney, there were crops planted mm. alongside the Carney, right? So... Mm. Those would have been the shorter term crops, things like beans, mm. um, corn, and other things like that. Right. Um, right. So cocoa would not have been in that ecosystem. And uh, a mm. Spanish person didn't even know what cocoa was. 
So right. in the period until the late 1700s, Trinidad really was in a period of the decimation of its indigenous population and the movement of it flowing in and out. The Spanish really did right. not figure out the colonization thing at all. They were right, dying, right. they were running into the right. bush, they were doing whatever. Anyhow, so the right. late 1700s, when Trinidad really got its population through the colonial period, Coco came around that period. And that's when you would start hearing about like French Creole cocoa and things like that mm. during the similar period when land was being given to people based on them being Catholic. So sugar mm. happened, but cocoa is a very different crop. So cocoa led mm. to the fact that Trinidad does not necessarily look like the typical Caribbean plantation society. The landmass right. plant cocoa on, you could have small plots, sugar required, big plots mm. with factories to mm. process. That is not, you, mm. you had to process the sugar really fast. That's not the same thing with cocoa. The fermentation and the drying mm. could happen. And then the, the beans could be stored for a while before they were shipped right. out. So those people, when you look at it, you know, mm. agricultural anthropology, looking at what, mm -hmm. what was growing and how that affected the society. So cocoa then right. left a lot of smaller crops. So in a way, right. it was probably part of why the mentality here is more a kind of breakdown, small scale, we doing our thing, I right. doing my thing, not the big right. plantation culture of Barbados, right. Antigua, St. Kitts, Jamaica. Mm -hmm. You know, it's a very different story. So Trinidad then right. became, it wasn't yet attached to Tobago, and it became a very big mm -hmm. producer of cocoa. So in the 1800s was the heyday time. And so oh when you look at the formation of this society, a lot of who we are gets changed by how, what is growing, how it's growing, what is required, mm -hmm. So that was right. that is right. in a nutshell part of how cocoa would have right. affected what we did. Now the other thing it's affected is that it's not grown as a monoculture. So the terms you kind of need to know is polyculture mm. and monoculture. And right. polyculture right. is where you're growing in a system, a diverse system. So it's kind of cool right. because it's a little reflective of the population right. here. Yeah. And Right, 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 yeah. our population. It is we a population that yeah. has a lot of diversity of religion, right. culture, subculture, right. this, that, right. opinion, side yeah. opinion. And cocoa is very much like that. Right. So when you looked at a cocoa estate, sometimes you could see as much as 200 other crops growing in that estate. Right. And sometimes some timber and a lot of things going on at the same time. So it's a really good right. crop to then right. create a business model that has multiple right. products. And what you see is in, in the modern right. world, if you go into ADB for loan, they're not so skilled mm. at doing that multi-crop thing. They're much more comfortable right. with you right. saying, right. are producing cocoa. Right. Right, right. right. Yeah. Right, right. So, so, so then tell me something, Julian. Uh, from, from, from that, okay. So we understand in terms of that perspective of cocoa and where, where it came from and that kind of thing. But there also was, what I'm trying to also understand is the colonial impact on more of the commercial model now. Right. And I do, I, I do appreciate that they, from what I understand, that the early 1900s would have initiated the invention of the cocoa press. 
And with that initiation of the Cocoa Press, it had the emergence of these giants in the US and UK, which is your, your, your traditional big five, which almost looks like the arms of the colonial empires kind of way, which is your Hershey's, Cadbury's, um, Fry's, Round Trees, and, and, and Swiss. That colonial model, what, what essentially was their model? That, that basically these big guys want to produce these chocolate bars, so therefore the, the Caribbean islands and the Ghana and whatnot will be the feeders of, of the cocoa for them. So therefore you want to get slave labor or free labor uh, in order to feed that. What was that colonial? Because I remember watching on your Instagram a, a really interesting article about Willy Wonka. You know what mm. I mean? That it had it. Uh, that that sort of thing, uh, Torian. I don't know if you could pull up. If you could pull up that, uh, that I actually found that article, um, and I didn't even know about this this sort of uh, r- uh, racial background of the pygmies. You mean uh, racism? Yeah, racism. exactly, exactly. Expand on that a little. Bit. When they talk about Oompa Loompas? Yeah, yeah. 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 And when Raul Dang was asked to make a change um, by the NAACP, he said that they were like Nazis. So, you know, there's so much um, small-mindedness, abuse of power, Mm -hmm. white supremacy involved in the whole colonial project that, Mm -hmm. you know, it it permeates everywhere. If you look at um, Mm -hmm. vintage ads of chocolate, Mm-hmm. It's horrifying. It's absolutely yeah. horrifying how yeah. ruthless and sexist these ads were. But for me, yeah. and this is my own my own analysis, right? right? Now, to me, first off, part of the reason for the colonial project was that the in Europe they had already decimated their environment um, because right. of their um, you know witch burning and all of their destruction of indigenous knowledge their ability to control the size of their population, to grow the right things was gone, right? Or at least hidden away. So their need to go other places was not just because they had preferences. It was also a necessity because of their um, collapse of their indigenous knowledge and the collapse of the um, balance between the humans and the other forms of life in their environment. So remember, they are leaving right. places that have been destroyed um, right. in terms of their environment. So it's no surprise that we're facing what we're facing now after this blink of the eye with pepper, you know, because right. the project right. started with, with a mentality of you destroy your environment and you move on. And that is what settler colonialism right. is. So for me, mm-hmm. what is interesting is to look at how many stimulants they ended up mm-hmm. prioritizing. Because sugar, right. cocoa, coffee, right. mm-hmm. um, they had all kind of other mm-hmm. stimulants in small amounts, cocaine, they had all kind of stimulants. Right. Because mm-hmm. is that what's required to live in a dense human right. settlement with a certain kind of mm-hmm. work life? Um, right. I see Farad right. put capitalism. Well, you know, it's a mm-hmm. it's a it's an approach to um, your resources and your environment and an, an extractive approach. So I don't know if you've yeah. read like original um, 
documents because I like to read an original document from right. like Captain right. Cook or Columbus's diaries. Right. And I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. reading read, originals and you don't I read Columbus. Right. Yeah. You don't yeah. don't go near the secondary stuff, right? Because that's yeah. interpretation, right? right? Yeah. Look at right. the diaries and they are online. Mm. And at the beginning of that's his first diary, he refers to the fact that they just kicked the Jewish population out of Spain. So now they had those resources. So it's already wow. racist. It doesn't, there is no right. moment in there with mm -hmm. enlightenment. There's no heights inside right. of that project. Right. So <laughs> it starts off with an oppressive precedent of liberating mm -hmm. funds from the Jewish population in, in Europe. And therefore, they have the money. And the Moors at that time also had been defeated in Europe. Mm. So there's right. a there's a context. That's why it's so cool to look at it right. as a system and look at the flow right. inside of the system instead of how we learn right. history, which is a very right. disconnected, disjointed um, way to approach it. Mm -hmm. When I, I find when I have conversations with young people and young adults and they tell me, oh, I hate history, and we start talking about history right. in the context of chocolate, they are fascinated right. because it is a yes. fascinating yes. story mm -hmm. and it is a True. fascinating True. and violent and exploitative. Right. And, you know, there's a whole bunch of stuff going on in there, including to do with cocoa, right? So, right. So the cocoa story in the colonial period is not over. We still right there. What happened was that instead of bringing people from Africa and India, they took mm -hmm. the plant to Africa. And so in the, 19, in the late 1800s, the cocoa trees were taken to Africa. And now four countries in Africa produce over 70% of cocoa which is Ghana, Ivory Coast, Nigeria, and Cameroon. So I am doing this project now and comparing prices. I don't know if you want to mm. go to this now or if we still inside of... Go there, go there, go there. Yeah, we're going to get to the heights. I just I zoomed to this heights as well, I dread. If you was a history teacher, I might have do history, but I mean, two hours in for I found it there was something lacking in cohesion. I'm into storytelling, I love stories, and I was interested in, um, you know, like how it would mesh. What is the continuity? How do we look at what we're going through today and utilize our history to understand it? And that's not what was right. going on. So, right. so anyhow, so, so here all, we all that being today. said, what we really have to figure out now is what has changed. Where does that same level of you know oppression, racism, all these things, where does it still ex exist today in, in the realm of everything? And right. does it? So, so if we were to think about power, right? Who has power mm -hmm. and who doesn't? Now, mm -hmm. in one of the ways you get power is through money. And mm -hmm. so, so by keeping prices low, you are reducing a group's power. So currently mm -hmm. in West Africa, I mean, just last week, I checked on some prices. 
people are getting paid, uh, let's say the, the port price. So, so you take, you mm. pick the cocoa, you pay somebody there, you pay to transport it. So the port price is between a dollar, a dollar to a dollar twenty US a kilo to about two dollars a kilo, right? Now the beans here, we paying minimum five dollars a kilo. So now let's add that up. Mm. Trinidad is not producing much cocoa at all. We're producing definitely less than 500 tons, probably closer to 300 tons or less. Ghana produces, if you multiply that by two and then by a thousand. So they're producing like 800,000, I think, or something up there, tons of cocoa. And Ivory Coast producing something like 900,000 tons. Multiply that differential of that four dollars but this tonnage is by mm -hmm. per year per season that's per year per year so so multiply that and you will see the deficit because the right. real price for cocoa to produce it is not being paid which then means yeah. that people resort for desperate survival to paying, to, to using children, either from their family mm -hmm. or from outside. So who is the culprit here? Who is the culprit? Right. When you go and you look at the data, so let me, let me, let me break down price again. So in Trinidad, if we pay $5 US per kilo, and then let's mm -hmm. say we turn it into chocolate, we're going to be selling that mm -hmm. for about um, six, about... 30 to 50 US a kilo, right? That's with sugar added, which, and obviously you're losing the shell and so on. So you're going up multiple times in price. And that is why mm. Europe is rich. Plain and simple. Mm. It's not all these stories about technology and all of this. We all right. started at approximately the same place. But then by putting laws in place that you were not allowed to process, there were times in Trinidad where we were not allowed to make furniture, we were not allowed right. to do this, do that. Everything had to come from the metropole. So that mm. whole idea of the removal of raw materials, meaning mm. sugar cane, cocoa beans, coffee beans, and then the processing into finished products, coffee at Starbucks, chocolate bars, sugar right. pouring down in something, um, syrup, mm. and just apply that by everything, mm. including humans. Right. So raw material, Trinidad, we school people for free, and then everybody leaves. And they right. go and they build somebody else's place. So that is happening with everything on every right. level, including yeah. cocoa. Right. So, so then, right. so then, Jillian, what you what you're describing is the is the nuances and the reach of of this sort of colonial model. In in my mind, the colonial players that that I came across was like the cocoa farmers, the cocoa boards, conglomerates, local government plantation owners, and the modern players is almost like an equivalent version of that. Um, mm -hmm. Torian, I don't know if you could pull up if you could pull up the. The, the, the link I yeah, no problem. Um, and um, this is um, one that uh, actually not this one. Um, uh, it's actually yeah. Just scroll on to the bottom. Sorry. 
Whisper room to be more true. Yeah, that's all. Right, that one. Yeah, the bar, the bar. Right. So, Karini Heisegger, and I, I ain't think I ought to say more. Karini Heisegger. This seems to be okay. So this is showing chocolate, right? But this is the same yeah. for cocoa. I mean, you're showing chocolate, but is the same for coffee? Is the same for gold? Is the same for humans? Is the same for like the teacher is the farmer in this one, and the retailer is when you go away and you're working as an engineer in a um, a company somewhere, right? So but then, it's but not then. it's it's the farmer when they say six point six percent. But Jillian, that's six point six percent. If I if I, I, I let me take a Cadbury bar. Let, let, let me say the Cadbury bar selling for ten US, which which it doesn't. But let me just say it hypothetically. Right, mm -hmm. so that 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 ten US telling me that the farmers only getting sixty six cents of that. It's $10. probably less than that. I mean, I think this is a very generous wow. um, slide. So that means the retailers getting four dollars and forty two cents. The manufacturers the, the, getting three dollars yeah. and fifty. Right, but I mean, it's a little more complicated in real, simply because. Right. Um, you have to think about, okay, so if the farmers are making 6.6%, but there are many more farmers than there are retailers, it means per capita, right. the amount is even less. Right. It's less yeah. so, so if you're right. looking at a, a chocolate factory in Switzerland, they have replaced mm -hmm. the humans with machines, right? So the machine itself, mm. the same process with that. Huh? The machine is being made in China. Right. The mine that the metal is coming out from the mine. So this is a simplistic version of if we mm. really were to make it three-dimensional, where we also accounting for the stone mill that is used in the grinding machine and what country right. is that from India, because usually that's where right. we get in our machine, the metal. So take this and multiply it by, I don't know, inf infinity, wow. right? So, 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 wow. so, well, so, 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 well, 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 so, so, well, so, well, so, well, so, well, so, well, so, so, well, 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 so, so I tasted really? a chocolate bar from some bean from Uganda, and it was the nice. best chocolate bar I ever tasted in my life. And I don't say that like. Yeah. But so, Julian, we, 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 we clearly up there, weren't we? Out of the five samples we sent for that awards, the Cocoa Awards, didn't three make yeah. the top 50? Oh, yeah. Clearly we up there. How many do you think Uganda sent? No, but I'm, I'm sure you're going to tell me right now. <laughs> well, no, I mean, I know that, like, Cote d'Ivoire, there was a farmer there who came top in the world. All of those award things. Right. Mm -hmm. Sorry to say, but it's a There's brand a mafia. It's a marketing kind of thing. There's a mafia. There's I'm a not mafia. saying our beans are not good. Our beans are, del if they're well fermented and well dried, which wasn't right. the case five years ago when I first started making chocolate. Five mm. and a half years ago, the beans were horrible. So one thing I have to say is that 
the change in chocolate production here is an is a mm. an example of how that idea that things take long to change isn't true because mm. in five years it in went from years. when we were first giving people cocoa they were spitting it out like literally spitting it out mm. and now chocolate bars i mean when we were giving them chocolate now chocolate bars in every mm. supermarket in every gourmet store, mm. everywhere you turn, you could buy chocolate in Trinidad now. And five and a half years ago, people were spitting it up. When you so, mean everywhere you turn, they could, they could buy chocolate in Trinidad. You mean you mean chocolate like local cho chocolate, like local chocolate. You mean you local, sorry, chocolate. we should classify that. We have local chocolate that is not from local beans and are not right. called new names. And right. we have local chocolate that is from local cocoa beans. If you see right. the prices below a certain amount, you know and what was being spitted out, and what was being what was being spitted out, what what was local had, chocolate was being spitted out a few years ago, but not anymore. Is that what you're trying to say? Exactly, because local. part of the thing mm. is part of the colonial model is you send out your product and you get an inferior mm. version back, right? Right. So mm. the chocolate we were eating was minimally cocoa beans maximally sugar and milk so really kind of we got a custom it's like okay say you grew up drinking tang and not orange juice mm. when you yeah, taste orange juice, you you drink. what is this exactly, exactly. That, right. that that is that is actually a real thing uh yeah. that orange that example of orange juice they um because the orange juice is so processed at least in north yeah. america and canada That's specifically they, 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 they were a sample group of given real oranges and they didn't like the taste of Are real oranges. Are you trying oranges. to say, Torian, that Florida is natural, not natural? Yeah, <laughs> because the process they, des they describe, they describe that the orange juice is being silos, satfire, yeah. deoxygenated. Oh, oh no, man. So, yeah, well, I mean, pasteurized, pasteurized fruit juice. Oh, gosh. Please. Come now, man. Yeah. When you see orange juice. In the you know, ads, they know a man just pick an orange and squeeze it into the pocket. In the, in the, <laughs> <laughs> From behind the freezer. <laughs> but, then, but then tell me this, Julian, because, I mean, from, from what you described, okay, I have a better understanding of this colonial model and you know, how it is we, we look into transition. And from what you described, as I mentioned to you when we chatted before, I mean, I grew up in Cedras. And even as far as Cedras, I only know about Nuggle and Cadbury's. And I never really see a local, uh, a, a local chocolate until I probably start to go Yugi and I probably went like um, Maraval or something. And, and, that kind of, and that's just my reality. Mm -hmm. What is the difference between, and I hear you talk about craft chocolate. I mean, I 36 years, Julian, and I, I didn't even know what that was. So if right. you kind of transition a bit into that. Yeah. So um, craft chocolate is having a bit of an identity crisis, right? Because right. nobody... Is that, the TT, is that the TT chocolate experience, renaissance that you are No. Mentioned? So craft chocolate is mm -hmm. a subset of chocolate that is made on in an artisanal form smaller right. batches it's not commercial right. chocolate like um right. you know the larger brands either locally because up to up to about five years ago or so on shelves in trinidad we we had no craft chocolate so all the chocolate was what's called industrialized chocolate right. or industrial chocolate or commercial chocolate and now mm. we have craft chocolate all over the place in Trinidad, right? And craft chocolate mm. on a global scale 
is less than I think 2% of the market. So it's still a very small sector, but it's much more than it was before. Now, the thing is, just like we were talking about with the orange shoes, or let's, mm -hmm. let's say anything that you have like a quality version and you have a version yeah. that's an industrial version, whatever, right. whether it's music or whatever, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> some, if you grew up on the inferior version, it's not that the mm -hmm. other one is like people think it's bitter, right? It's not bitter. Your taste buds are accustomed to a um, less nuanced, less fine tasting version of the thing. So it's like the tang versus orange juice, right? Mm -hmm. So it takes a while to recultivate somebody's taste buds to something which mm. is a craft chocolate industry. So it is mm. still very small for several reasons. One is you're actually paying farmers a different price. And so immediately that changes um, how things work. There's a, there's a culture in craft chocolate that people need to know what you're paying the farmer. So on a global scale, the larger craft chocolate brands, they have to put out transparency reports, there are cocoa companies, including people in Trinidad who are selling on the craft market. And people expect there's no child labor, there's no deforestation. Mm -hmm. So there's a kind of cultural standard in craft chocolate that is really quite compelling. And when you are inside mm -hmm. of the craft chocolate world, in all my life, I have never been in any so-called industry that has had such human values and community values. It's not perfect. But it's definitely not like the dog eat dog coffee wheel or something. So, so that even oh. in Trinidad, when I first started doing chocolate, I had founded a group called Destination Chocolate Trinidad and Tobago, where we invited cocoa farmers, um, people from academic institutions, anybody to do with cocoa, including the shops. And that's when we started having more and more festivals. So that is when we were able to recultivate people's taste buds. What I saw, it took about two or three um, tries before they started liking craft chocolate. So they might spit it out first, and then you talk them through it through. as they taste in it. And we must do a tasting on the screen yeah. one. Yeah. Oh, that, that actually was uh, that was actually going to bring up to my next question. So how do we convert people or introduce people to this craft chocolate and taking their taste buds back into that more natural? Okay, so, so there are some tricks you could do. So one of the things mm -hmm. is, you know, we have, um, there's something called cocoa nibs, which is just a fancy branded word for yeah. broken up cocoa beans with the shell yeah. removed, right? Roasted yeah. with the shell removed. Mm -hmm. So if yeah. somebody tastes that first, then they get mm -hmm. accustomed to something without sugar. So say you have a party, a chocolate tasting mm -hmm. party, have some nibs there and let people yeah. take nibs first. Now, the, mm -hmm. the new world, so we have new world cocoa, right? Because of our soil, there's something called terroir, which is to do with, they use it in wine. The place that something is grown affects the taste. And the terroir right. in this part of the world makes chocolate mm -hmm. taste fruity. Now, that is the right. original taste of chocolate, right? But because we grew up mm -hmm. eating West African chocolate, chocolate there we think that's what chocolate's supposed to taste like but that wasn't the original taste of that chocolate. Wasn't the... if that has more heavy notes more nuttiness a more round mm. like if you're talking about base pan in panorama whereas the trinidad mm. one has more like tenor notes and guitar pan 
So right. it's a different flavor. And so you get people mm. tasting the bean and they will taste those flavors. We have like dried fruit undertones. People often will ask, you know, do you have banana in this? Or do you have raisins uh, in this? That's the taste of our chocolate. Our is it just to, just to kind of, you know, put it into a kind of other discussion here just quickly. So would it be would we be able to ever see somebody mass produce craft chocolate? There's a bit. That's why I'm saying there's a bit of an identity crisis right now because some of the firms have gotten mm. bigger and they can't quite figure out where does it stop being craft and where does it become commercial. So there's a lot of discussions happening now in the craft right. world. Um, we don't have anything large enough in Trinidad to say we're moving in that domain yet. Yeah. Um, our our version is like what we call a mega farm. So everywhere yeah, else yeah. has a small farm, right? Small farm, so, right. So but, we're not in that commercial realm. Um, right. So so no, no, I we have left on the show because yeah. I can't remember. We I have a half an hour again. And we can bring in we can bring in the, the other speaker too as soon if we can because we have a half an hour again. So yeah, you know yeah, if we yeah, can, yeah. maybe yeah, next time we should introduce um, our other guest tonight, and we have here Laura Lalman, Hi. otherwise known as Alana to some. And Laura is, you know, taking her precious time to come and, and be with us tonight because I know you have, you know, a lot of things on your plate and things. So, Laura holds a master's mm. distinction in human resource management at the Lockjack, and she is project coordinator at ArcTT. She has a strong volition to utilize her skills sets in NGOs as grassroots is the place to make the most difference and to create stronger communities. Welcome, Laura. So what, let me bring you in one time on this. Let me bring if you could come in one time on this. I know I know I, I kind of playing devil's advocate here, but so is it that um we do yeah, we might not be entering that right now with the mass production of craft stuff, right? But is it that craft, craft stuff is merely the fact that it's been made on a smaller scale so you are able to pay more attention to certain things? Or is it that mm -hmm. we are just um, looking at mass-produced chocolate and their quality be as, as inferior because it's different, if you know what I mean? This is definitely one to put across to Julian before I add anything. Yeah, right. yeah. So as I said, there's an identity crisis. I would say the craft chocolate world is now in its like early teens and trying to figure out what its identity is and trying to, to decide. I mean, within the craft industry, those decisions, everybody's talking about it because it's the first time that craft companies a large enough dandelion chocolate in San Francisco, Taza chocolate in Boston. So there are companies now that are large enough that they are starting to resemble the industrial company structure in dandelion. You know, they're fighting the 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 um employees are fighting to unionize. You know, so these are things that were never in the field before. And I don't think this is just about chocolate. I think as ethical food production starts to increase. The dilemmas that were inside of large companies, we're going to start seeing some of those dripping over as, as the companies producing ethical foods or ethical products get larger because the demand is larger. 
So, so there's a, a kind of transition, and that's as much as I can tell you. There is no definition at present of the right. difference between right. craft chocolate, artisanal chocolate, bean to bar chocolate. Some of those big right. companies calling their chocolate now bean to bar, and that's the truth. Mm -hmm. They are mm -hmm. using beans, but it's a very different process. So right. I don't know if we, I want to make sure we have time to talk about the fact that ARC is the only structure within which there are cocoa farming communities who are making chocolate in the world. Like there are not mm -hmm. communities like villages and so on. Most chocolate makers are actually in the craft industry are people with one and two degrees. They are functional. People came from other careers. And that's the same in Trinidad. A lot of the people here who are making chocolate, including me, came from another career path and became chocolate makers. So, so the fact that there are several companies, and that's what Laura knows more about too, is mm -hmm. that what is it like to allow farmers or to support farmers in any industry, but in this case, it's in chocolate, to actually take charge of their product and process it. Laura? Great. So I will pick up from her points about um, um, rural communities, because that's especially one area that requires a lot of advocacy to happen. And that is how I got introduced to um, the, the chocolate that Arc makes, um, was when they had um, a function within one of the rural communities that first started. So this is Brasso Seco. And the same thing that Jolene is doing here for you and giving you that story of why chocolate is important and how you're trying to make it look. Because these are communities that get marginalized. You have the most disenfranchisement happening here because no opportunities are really happening. How many opportunities can happen when it is advantaged by the distance, um, employment, education, and a lot, a lot of other factors that are happening. So when I started coming on board, it was as a customer. A lot of people who are in the comments are also customers. And the story that she's telling for you as well is something that really connected. So when I started to then volunteer and then go into working with it, you get to notice that because communities have so few resources, getting them involved in something that they've already been a part of. So these three communities currently in Trinidad and there's one in Tobago are already um, have a background in cocoa production. So some of their great-grandfathers used to work on cocoa plantations. So coming from a corporate background, you tend to realize that um, what she would have liked me to pull in here too is that having people get confidence who live in these communities as well and seeing how they can own the chocolate businesses because that's one of the, main, that's one of the major factors of ArcTT is for rural communities to create and own their chocolate companies. It's not that we are running it, it's not that Jillian is running it, it is really that your community members have employment, they have a way to be empowered as well. And you're also empowering not just a community, you're empowering women on the whole that they're able to do other things as well, which is not the major facets that ARC comes up with also. So those are factors that you wanna tie in because there's, ARCTT has a massive amount of social responsibility that they do and social justice work. So it's not just we're talking about when we're going to make chocolate. It's also what else are we doing? It's what not else? just yeah. It's also providing opportunities and things yeah. of that nature. I just want to ask something quick. So as you touched on it, is there a focus on getting women more involved in in, in oh. chocolate making and ownership of of plantations and things like that? What does that so, look like? 
Mila Julian, Julian answer part of that question when it comes to ownership. Well, so it's interesting because when um, doing projects in um, communities, what you find is that they're almost exclusively female. And what I find, what we found with this project is because it's an income earning project, that the gender um, balance tended to be more distributed um, because it's not a project that is putting as its forefront just changing a community or making Trinidad able to do certain things. It is also a business. And so combining income earning activities and activities that allow resources to be more correctly distributed combined with capacity building will tend to often attract women and men. So it's um, it was an interesting thing. It wasn't the intention. It, the intention just kind was, of worked out. Yeah, it worked out that way. Um, but at the same time, ARC has a lot. Communities have several ways they make money, right? So we have chocolate production, cocoa and cocoa butter selling and production. We also have tourism, at least we did before COVID. So now we've moved virtually. So we are doing tours in the US now where you can take a tour of a cocoa estate and we walk through the cocoa estate and we send you the chocolate. So you could live in Brooklyn and we'll send That's you actually pretty smart. Yeah, it's, so that is that. We've been doing that for about three months now. And it's a much mm. better, much more lucrative thing than um, mm. even the local tours. It's just that we have mm. to build the market. So so mm. that has been good. Um, yeah, so I mean, answering your question, mm. in the tourism part, what we find is that um, a lot of the communities in Trinidad were originally Creole Patois speaking communities. And then that was really pushed out. And so getting people to do public speaking, all of us across the board in Trinidad, it doesn't seem like you all, but other people, yeah. you have to get a lot of coaching to get people to be comfortable um, speaking in public. So that yeah. is another thing. And so we have both women and men doing the tours. And then we also have an organic um, produce box and an online shop because cocoa grows with other things. So when you're doing a business model, why are you only going to sell the cocoa? Just right, right. Yeah, that don't make sense. So so the, the, we, we operate in like a forest. We always tell people our mm -hmm. business mentor mm -hmm. is a tropical right. rainforest because the information we get from that, they don't have a single business guru who could give us right. that information. As you say that, it's, it's something that Faraz had mentioned to me before um, when we were talking about climate change that kind of clicked when you mentioned that, Gillian, uh, which is something actually in civil engineering they're really pushing for now, which is called circularity in models. Mm -hmm. um, what sort of opportunities you have seen as the model for ARC evolved over time that allowed you to improve circularity in the model because circularity is very difficult to do in construction uh, and structure and, and enforce and, and, and make happen. For all these different products that you're doing, what are some of the best examples of circularity that that, that you see in, in, in what you Alana, you want to talk about uh, the plastic-free part or the gender mm, part? Or both, um, perhaps? Plastic-free? Yeah, 
Yeah, as a circularity <laughs> system. Sure. Okay. So, as we're, we've, she's been talking about, um, part of our mandate is environmental conservation and sustainability. So, um, every product that we endorse and we have at the shop or we sell chocolates, everything is considered plastic free as much as possible. So, I could tell you probably up to 75%. And, and what you're trying to do is edge closer to the 100%, which is sort of impractical at this stage. And mm. um, what our plastic free mandate encourages us to do is to really be mindful and to be aware of how much damage we're already having in the environment with plastic waste. So what also happens at the zero waste shop, which is the space that we have in Trinidad, um, is that you get nothing in plastic. Everything happens in recycled containers. You could send in your own containers. And that is a huge deal for a lot of persons that really are considering that as a lifestyle change because it is a lifestyle change to get to that point. So if our model is considered to be something that we're trying to create sustainability, we have to do it in every facet of it. So in everything that we're doing, which is packaging, even where we might set up, even in how we provide transport, even in who we're hiring, everything ties in. There is like nothing that we're doing that doesn't tie back into our value system or what we believe in and what we really want to see happen for the future when it comes to saving the environment and creating better opportunities for people and making sure that agriculture is something that we see as what is best because I'm coming from corporate and that is not the best way. And this is actually one of the better models I've experienced when it comes to how are we making sure that there is accountability for your actions. And if I'm going off topic, just tell me because I could no, be no, off no, here. No, 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 I'm moving into that aspect yeah. as well. And um, mm. so let me pull into the employment part because that is like one area that I have. Yeah. I have seen mm. and witnessed what Jolene was talking about building people's confidence that we've had members who started off as um, just like whatever you want to think is the first facet into chocolate making. And she now runs the Brasso Seco Chocolate Company. And she's right. what, 21, Jillian? Yes, we have a community member from Brasso Seco that started off when she was probably 17, maybe 16, and mm -hmm. worked her way into this with um, the help of ARC. And mm -hmm. I mean, she's amazing. And That's is now running yeah. an entire chocolate company who should be here tonight. But um, you can have one. You can have one. Brasso has had no internet for fourteen mm. days now. Oh, okay, what? That's, that's true. That's true. They have the landline. The whole company that is up the part of it that's in Brasso is working off of a cell phone for the last two weeks oh, because damn. nobody's office is working. Nothing is working, and that's the kind of thing you struggles you have to deal with. What? Yeah. Well, even worse. I mean, it ties into why rural communities are so disenfranchised and disempowered. Something as, right. something as internet access that we take for granted. Because if my internet yeah. was for five minutes, I'm cussing everybody. Right. Yeah. So, but this is what they're facing every day. And they're still successful at it because that is the resilience of rural communities. Right. So, yeah, and the other thing is, none of us would exist without rural communities. We would have the water coming right. from there, the yeah. gravel, right. your one engineer, the aggregate coming mm -hmm. from there, the cement mm -hmm. coming from there, 
basically the reason that sieges were so important as a strategy mm. in kind of mm. early development of cities is because cities consume. They don't produce. Mm -hmm. They don't right, produce right, any right. raw materials. They only use the mm. raw materials. So when it. you undervalue mm. your source, that's basically what yeah. it comes down to. You undervalue right. in your source. So when we have an attitude towards the environment, it's not an isolation. Mm -hmm. so it's an attitude yeah. of disregard for the cradle yeah. that bears us. And it is well, a, a kind yeah. of overall attitude where we are so arrogant and so short-sighted that we actually think we are so this and we so that. And the truth is, mm -hmm. see just city for a week and you will see. Exactly. Okay, yeah. Yeah. Speaking of attitudes, right? And speaking of this whole disregard and so on. And then listening to you all speak for the past almost hour and a half now. And we, um, sadly, we are running out of time. So I want to bring up something quickly before we reach that point. And we will have you on again because there's so much you can tell on for sure. about yeah. what you just spoke sure. about. And I know there was something you wanted to speak about and you're asking how much yeah. time to learn, but we really, you yeah. know how this go. Yeah, um, yeah. I want to talk about, you know, the fact that you all are, are so, you know, environmentally conscious. You all are so aware of so many different things that, you know, a lot of people do not take into consideration when it comes to business in Trinidad and Tobago. And then when we spoke before, you talked about, you know, values in business and value-based. And when um, so a certain, I don't, again, we, we could call him, we could say whatever, we people already know who I'm talking about. You pull your, your, your chocolate off the shelves, right, of a certain entity in Trinidad due to, things that it's on um, my instagram so it's starlight that i pulled it out of. right right mm. good right so <laughs> you pull it out of starlight and you know when it comes to business people say well that's a bad move you know you, you have one big chain carrying your products why would you do that to yourself can you tell us a little bit of why you chose to pull your products off that and how that ties into your value system as a businesswoman Right. Well, one of the things that sometimes is kind of mistakenly understood is that if you're a liberal you have to let everything be sweet and nice. And no, you have to set limits and boundaries. Yeah. And when people are unable to set limits and boundaries for themselves, you set the boundary for them. And so that is not just to do with an attitude, it is to do with the material yeah. you are using, how you produce in your cocoa, how you make in your chocolate where you're getting your grants from, everything mm -hmm. about how we operate can actually have accountability built into it. Now, the challenge mm -hmm. is that it is a cultural behavior. You know, people, we have this idea that culture is the dance somebody does or the drumming sequence mm -hmm. or the instrument they play. But culture is the external reflection of your internal philosophy as a group. That's what culture mm -hmm. is. And so the dance you choose to do is a reflection of what you believe. What are your underlying beliefs? And so when we take external action, we are creating culture. And so when I choose to have somebody talk to me in a certain way, I am creating a culture where patriarchy rules, skin color rules, all of those things play into That's the tone for everything that comes after. Yes. So culture, mm -hmm. especially in a society like this, that was so torn apart and so much um, 
violent exerted on this land mass. And the, the great thing is that when you are from a new culture, you can make change rapidly. I remember when doubles had no cucumber. And all of a sudden, somebody started to And within a year, everybody had cucumber with it. In France, they have a bread that they make in the same bread for 300 years. So the advantage of this country is that cultural change can happen rapidly for the good or for the bad. It is a society that is very rapid. So for me, if you are trying to shift the culture to even more black hatred and stuff like that, mm. no, 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 no. I need mm. to set a limit for you because mm. you are clearly damaged enough that you mm. cannot set your own limits. And that is mm. a way to be an ally to somebody. If I mm. want to slap my child, I want people to stop me mm. because okay. I am confused at that moment. And right. none of us are perfect, right? So the mm-hmm. ability to set firm limits with an understanding mm-hmm. that, okay, the person inherently is good, but they're not behaving good right now. And I think, right. you know, like you even look at those tag ads and, you know, with their mm-hmm. pathetic campaign. And, yeah. okay, let's set limits. We understand men have been violated as children. They have been slapped around, insulted. But we set in limits for you as an adult. You don't get to behave mm-hmm. that way. Right. That doesn't mean we're writing you off, but we mm-hmm. set in a firm limit. We set in, yeah, there you go. So that is how you create a culture. You create a culture mm-hmm. by your actions, but your actions have to be built on a philosophy. And we don't have a philosophy department in you. We don't have a department. We don't? No, there's no philosophy. There are classes, but there's no department. No department. So what are, what do we believe? It was one of the last conversations I had with my father, who was from Tobago. Mm. And I sat around with his brother, and we were in Tobago for his birthday. And we were talking about what do we really believe? And how is that belief manifest in our actions? Mm-hmm. What that's something I just wonder about people. What do you really believe? <laughs> well, all of us. What do I yeah. believe when I mm-hmm. buy plastic around Ooh. my spaghetti? That alone could tell you everything about what I'm willing to give up, what I'm willing mm-hmm. to sacrifice in my young people's future, who I consider important on this planet. Let me tell you, you mm-hmm. could real break mm-hmm. down based on an action. Not what I say I believe, but what I actually, actually believe. Right, right. Well, so I'll jump in yeah. quick here. Sorry to cut you off a time, but uh, two questions um, from the mm-hmm. team in terms of like, what would you like to see change and happen here and now that would make it easier for local chocolate and other producers to do business here and abroad as quickly and if you could summarize as quickly as you can. Well, honestly, the same dysfunction and pathology we have in the business world in Trinidad in general Mm -hmm. or in our cultural environment comes into the chocolate world. So I would like Mm -hmm. to see the chocolate world is young enough and small enough. When we had destination Mm -hmm. chocolate, we would have a lot of reasoning. And that's not Mm -hmm. happening anymore. I would like us to try to not repeat the same rubbish, classism, shadism, um, ruralism, all of those things. I would like 
CDC and the ministry and the people making chocolate to actually try to start with a different page. We start in a, we, we have a new, a different industry here. Let's try mm -hmm. and make it different. But it's not turning out that way right now. It's starting to, it started off with a lot of women. Now the large, large, okay, relative, right? Yeah, None of the large companies, chocolate companies here, mm. are women owned. None, not one. <laughs> Call the four largest ones, and none of them are women owned. So already so, we're moving mm. into a kind of patriarchal. Back to the same system. old. Same old. same old rubbish. Same. Well, we, gotta, we could we continue this for two more episodes. We gotta get rid of that. Somebody said no philosophy at the mm. department, but there's a yeah. whole institute for gender. gender Big up gender and development studies and Renel and the whole posse out there. Because, yeah. yes, they are doing a lot of yeoman service, you want to call it that, with expanding the minds. And we had them on last week. And it is so good to see that, you know, because Scott was, you know, one of our students and where that teacher-student relationship grows into something bigger with and a movement and so that. And you yourself, Jillian, I can see that you are a mentor to many. And, and out mm -hmm. of this now, you know, we have a lot of, you know, uh, awareness and vision mm -hmm. coming out of it. And, you know, to hear what... Alana said about um, RTT and what is happening in the communities and thing, you know. Yes, and then right. to hear, and then to hear how they are also mm -hmm. disenfranchised and cut off mm -hmm. because of you know whatever reason, but it's mm -hmm. still happening in Trinidad with all these rural communities, you know. And I, I must say today's episode was really eye-opening. Unfortunately, yeah. we come in to that time when you have to say goodbye. So I really want to thank Jillian and, and Laura, aka Alana for mm -hmm. coming on to the show yeah. today um you all gave a lot of um how to put it? not even insight but you know priceless it was priceless yeah, to hear, yeah. to hear to say some of these things yeah <laughs> you understand um i want to thank everybody for tuning in i know we had the um the trini chocolate what was trini chocolate posse um yes no problem no problem close us off yeah a lot of mm -hmm. our group is mm -hmm. a responsibility of a whole community so you are seeing the two of us but there yes. are multiple people who have contributed mm -hmm. to our enlightenment, our learning, yes. who don't yes. necessarily always get to be visible. So I just want to right. put a representation Definitely. that that yes. is part of what has allowed us to share this richness. That's Definitely, as they say, no man or woman is an island, right? Um, so, thank, so thank you all for tuning in. Um, we, we will have Julian back because we have things to talk about. Sorry, did Julian get to say what our social media pages are? Because I know people have been asking where to find us. Please do it, please do it. So, we have a website called chocolaterebellion.com. That mainly sells in the U.S. So send your U.S. friends there, but you could find information on ARC there and you'll find our social media. Our Instagram page is The New Rural PT. Okay, so you can put in Alliance of Rural Communities also, but it's The New Rural TT. And then Sanita's page is just Sanita's. And on the Sanita's page in the bio, it also has The New Rural TT. 
Alright, and that's sun eaters, yeah, people, not like Sunita. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Sunita is somebody else. Sun Alright, so uh, from all of us here at High True, thank you all for joining us and thank you then Laura one more. It's once lovely. More. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Bye. 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 Bless it. Later. Yeah, I don't know why you did so often. It was good, it was good. It's it not being good, it's not being good. Yeah, yeah, solid. Alana, solid. Alana, pull we gun, they boy. <laughs>